An awesome new window on the universe opens wide this week on Planetary Radio. One, two, three, go where? Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. After decades of work, after threats to the project's existence, and after a million-mile journey across space, the JWST has begun its historic work. On this special edition of Planetary Radio, we will hear some of what took place as those first five images were released. Bill Nye will share his reaction. With all that's ahead of us, we'll forego headlines from the Downlink, the Society's free weekly newsletter, but you can find it at planetary.org slash downlink. Never fear, Bruce Betts will be along, as usual, with an offbeat new space trivia contest that will tie the new telescope to a defunct hamburger. Seriously. It's the evening of Monday, July 11, 2022. President Joe Biden is about to reveal the very first science image from the James Webb Space Telescope. Six and a half months ago, a rocket launched from Earth, carrying the world's newest, most powerful deep space telescope on a journey one million miles into the cosmos. First of all, that blows my mind, a million miles into the cosmos. Along the way, unfolding itself, deploying a mirror 21 feet wide for science and technology, for astronomy and space exploration, for America and all of humanity. You know, as an international collaboration, this telescope embodies how America leads the world, not by the example of our power, but the power of our example. A partnership with others. It symbolizes the relentless spirit of American ingenuity. And it shows what we can achieve, what more we can discover, not just about distant places, but about our very own planet and climate, like NASA's Earth Systems Observatory that we launched last year. And now let's take a look at the very first image from this miraculous telescope. NASA Administrator Nelson, I'm going to turn this over to you. So will you please tell us about what we're seeing? Mr. President, if you held a grain of sand on the tip of your finger at arm's length, that is the part of the universe that you're seeing, just one little speck of the universe. You're seeing galaxies that are shining around other galaxies whose light has been bent. You know, a hundred years ago, Mr. President, Madam Vice President, a hundred years ago, we thought there was only one galaxy. Now, the number is unlimited. And in our galaxy, we have billions of stars or suns, and there are billions of galaxies with billions of stars and suns. And we're getting our first glimpse, as you said, Mr. President, we're looking back more than 13 billion years. And by the way, we're going back further because this is just the first image. They're going back about 13 and a half billion years. And since we know the universe is 13.8 billion years old, we're going back almost to the beginning. There's another thing that you're going to find with this telescope. It is going to be so precise 
you're going to see whether or not planets, because of the chemical composition that we can determine with this telescope of their atmosphere, if those planets are habitable. We are going to be able to answer questions that we don't even know what the questions are yet. This is what's happening. What an incredible team, joined, by the way, with our international partners, the European Space Agency, and the Canadian Space Agency. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson at the White House with President Biden, Vice President Harris, and others. Now it's the morning of Tuesday, July 12. NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center is the nexus for a worldwide celebration of the JWST and the first viewing of four more spectacular images. Astronomer Michelle Fowler is about to welcome a past Planetary Radio guest to the live broadcast. So longtime space fans are going to know who this is. This is Dr. John Mather. He's the senior project scientist for the Webb Telescope and a Nobel Prize winner. And John, I couldn't be happier to be here with you today. Thank you. It's a thrill to be here for this very special day. How are you feeling? I am thrilled and I'm relieved because, you know, when you start something this big, you know there's always a possibility it might not work. It did work. We are so proud. And you've been on this project for a very long time, right? Yeah, I started in 1995. We had just finished measuring the Big Bang. We measured it with a cosmic background explorer satellite that we built right here at Goddard. And we measured the spectrum. We measured there are hot and cold spots in the Big Bang. So we said, now we know it all, how it all got started. But then what happened after that? So then I got a call from NASA headquarters. Would I like to work on this new telescope that's going to help answer those questions? What happened after the Big Bang? How did the galaxies grow? How did the first black holes grow? What happened all the way from there to here? So this is our time machine, and I just wanted to be part of it. I am so thrilled that we got a chance to do it. Yeah, one of the things that I remember you saying, and this is kind of amazing, that you know, after you win the Nobel Prize, you thought that this mission was the most important thing to work on. Absolutely. It's the next question. After you know how it started, what happened then? And, you know, when suddenly we now have the technology to do it. We didn't have 50 years ago didn't have the technology 25 years ago even when we started this. We had to invent things along the way, so we did that, and here it is. Nobel Prize winning astrophysicist and JWST senior project scientist John Mather. This is a radio show. We can't show you the telescope images, but I can direct you to planetary.org. We've put a lot of excellent resources on our homepage, including my colleague Ray Paletta's piece about all five pictures, Jason Davis's comparison of the JWST to the Hubble, an excellent introduction to the telescope itself, and much more. For now, we'll jump directly to the last one presented. Here's Michelle Fowler again, this time with JWST Deputy Project Scientist for Communications, Amber Strawn. The last image is, wow, look at that. So Amber, can you, can you tell us a bit about what we're seeing here? Of course. This stunning vista of the cosmic cliffs of the Carina Nebula reveals new details about this vast stellar nursery. Today, for the first time, we're seeing brand new stars that were previously completely hidden from our view. Is there something you want to point out here? Absolutely. So, honestly, it took me a while to even figure out what to call out in this image. There's just so much going on here. It's so beautiful. One thing that really, really stands out to me is you sort of get this sense of depth and texture from this new data. Um, there's just, there's a lot going on. To call out a few specifics, 
First of all, in general, the Carina Nebula is a nearby star-forming region within our own Milky Way galaxy, about 7,600 light years away. Um, and in this view, we see some great examples, first of all, of hundreds of new stars that we've never seen before. We see examples of bubbles and cavities and jets that are being blown out by these newborn stars. We even see some galaxies sort of lurking in the background up here. We see examples of structures that, honestly, we don't even know what they are. Like, what's going on here? There's just, there's, the data is just so rich. Deputy Project Scientist for Communications, Amber Strawn. Bill Oakes was one of my guests when I visited the JWST at Northrop Grumman's Redondo Beach, California facility a year ago. Bill became the telescope's project manager in 2010. When I see these images, I see four things. I see dedication. And I have never seen dedication on this project like I have seen on any other mission I have worked. I see personal sacrifice of so many individuals that my heart is just overwhelmed with pride for the folks on this program. Finally, also I see passion. I've never seen the passion for this program. That's what helps with the first two things I mentioned. Finally, I just see the faces of all our individuals who have worked on this program, both the past and the present. And I can neither myself nor NASA will ever be able to think, thank these persons enough. And finally, on a more personal note, the Webb team itself, we are all going to be bonded for the rest of our lives by the Webb experience. And I have to thank you for the privilege that you have allowed me to be part of that experience. Thank you. We've got a link to that great 2021 Planetary Radio JWST visit on this week's episode page at planetary.org radio, along with many other great resources. The image reveal was followed by a media briefing. I was one of the lucky reporters who got to ask a question by phone. I based it on the atmospheric spectra revealed for exoplanet WASP-96b, a giant world that orbits its star in less than three and a half days. You'll hear it answered by Nicole Cologne. Web Deputy Project Scientist for Exoplanet Science, and past Planetary Radio guest René Doyon, Principal Investigator for the Canadian-built near-infrared imager and slitless spectrograph on the JWST. Thank you, everyone. Uh, magnificent images, magnificent day. Uh, with the WASP-96B spectra in hand, what are you now expecting, or at least hoping for, in spectra from more Earth-like worlds. I mean, how close might we come to detection of those atmospheric components that could indicate life, biological activity? Okay, thank you for the question. Uh, maybe Nicole, Renee, if you'd like to start. Uh, sure. Yeah, I can start. Uh, so what you've seen with WASP-96 were prominent water vapor absorption features. So those bumps upward are actually indicate there's water in the atmosphere absorbing starlight. And so it's very similar as we push towards smaller planets. Um, we mentioned the TRAPPIST-1 planets in particular. These are the um, best targets right now that are uh, small, rocky Earth size with a few of those planets in that system in the habitable zone of their star. Um, we're also going to be looking for evidence of water and as well as other molecules that contain carbon and hydrogen. So that's uh, methane, carbon dioxide, molecules like that. When you combine all that together, you can understand the content of the carbon, oxygen, hydrogen. And that's important because those are some of the basic building, building blocks of life. So uh, we're you know, hopeful that we'll see those, those data um, 
come out and reveal the, the spectra of those atmospheres. And I think we'll just have to wait <laughs> for time to reveal the, the story. And then Renee, if you want to, would like to add. Yeah, I just want to add that uh, we're, of course, we're looking at the, the, the system that we know now, uh, but there, you can expect many more exoplanet systems to be unveiled. And, and there's, uh, you know, the test missions are already finding a lot. One thing that uh, it is predicted to exist, these uh, water worlds, you know, planets that have a rocky core with the thick oceans around them, and uh, the only way to, you know, unveil the system is to detect the water features in their atmosphere. And you can expect Webb to be able to do this once we have a target that, you know, it looks, you know, the, the, it looks like a, a, a water world. So, um, yeah, there's many, many new discoveries that we can expect. Uh, but, you know, focus on, on relatively small planets. And the majority of, of them will be around and dwarf these very small stars because it's just much easier to detect the atmosphere around these, uh, these uh, small stars. Still to come on Planetary Radio is Bill Nye's take on the James Webb Space Telescope's big premiere. Many more highlights of the celebration are in the podcast version of this week's show. That's also where I talk at length with astrophysicist and JWST team member Tom Green. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Hello, I'm George Takei, and as you know, I'm very proud of my association with Star Trek. Star Trek was a show that looked to the future with optimism, boldly going where no one had gone before. I want you to know about a very special organization called the Planetary Society. They are working to make the future that Star Trek represents a reality. Boldly go to build our future. Welcome back. Bill Nye is CEO of the Planetary Society. We talked not long after the JWST image reveal and media briefing. Bill, what a morning, what an afternoon. It works, and wow. Yeah, exactly. So everybody, you know, uh, this thing cost $10 billion by the time it was all done. Over 25, a little more, maybe 26 years, depending how you count. But what a remarkable thing. And the, as the expression goes, they it cost so much because they needed too many miracles. <laughs> but they did it. They, they say they, we pulled it off. You know, it's a real, quite an engineering feat. They, we, it has been out there in space the last few months just getting cold so that it could detect these tiny, tiny uh, signals in the infrared, just below, just beyond what our human eyes can see. It's really a, a, just quite an achievement because it took all this time. People stuck with it. If you're a member of the Planetary Society, thank you because you helped advocate to keep this thing going over the last couple and a half decades. And now the first images are coming down and we are looking farther into the past than was ever possible. I think we did our first planetary radio episode about the JWST, what would become the JWST in 2006. And even that wasn't that close to the beginning of this project. But, no, that was almost 10 years in. Yeah. yeah but it, it was worth waiting for. I mean, all you have to do is look at those images and they just scratch the literal cosmic surface. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, what you're looking at, everybody, what we are looking at is 
not just stars, but galaxies full of stars, which just adds to the weirdness for me. <laughs> it's just, wow, really? So it's <laughs> the whole thing is crazy. I just think about my grandparents, man. They were born, all four of them were born in the 19th century. Hmm. I'm of a certain age. They didn't know that there was relativity, let alone what relativity would one day lead to, you know, the tunneling electron microscopes, mobile phones, nuclear power, and so on. All of that was discovered somewhat after they were born. You just think about where this may lead. Suppose we understand whatever dark matter is. What is dark energy? Suppose we figure it out, then there will be some amazing application someday, stuff we literally have yet to imagine. And when I say literally, Matt, <laughs> I mean literally. <laughs> we haven't imagined it yet. Yeah. It's really something. Here's a great line from the little essay that people can find uh, from you at planetary.org. It's a special feeling knowing that your understanding of the cosmos may be about to change. It is a special feeling. I was uh, in a conversation with our own Kate Howells and Ray Poeta about that. Human history is going to get a nudge. Hmm. I'm not saying we're all going to start driving on the other side of the street, but we're all <laughs> going to think about the cosmos and our place within it a little differently when these data, as they come down, when people figure out what, what we're really looking at. And, you know, look, everybody, if we are able to point this instrument at a planet, orbiting another star, an exoplanet, and decide that it really has methane, natural gas in the atmosphere. The only like significant, like if you're serious about it, source of methane here on Earth is from living things. There's other uh, inorganic processes, but generally it's going to be living things, bacteria metabolizing. Man, it would just give you pause for thought, people. Over the last 25 years, spent $10 billion. What's that? A, coffee, a cup of coffee per taxpayer. It's really amazing. And another 20 years, maybe more, if we're lucky, ahead of us with this, uh, this telescope in space. Well, yeah, you know, these guys and gals, got to say, they, you know, under, uh, under promise, overperform. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this telescope goes longer than 20 years. 20 years! Matt, what are we going to be doing in 20 years if we're going to be doing anything? <laughs> Hopefully talking to you still, Bill. It is literally wonderful to talk to you on this uh, this great day to be a, a member of uh, humanity and uh, see this accomplishment coming about. And a member of the Planetary Society. You supported <laughs> this for decades. It almost got canceled in the U.S. Congress. I don't want to throw out a half dozen, but certainly more than twice. And because of you all, we stuck with it, and here you are. So thank you. Thank you all very much. And thank you, Bill. That's the CEO of the Planetary Society, Bill Nye, the planetary and science guy. Time for What's Up on this uh, special edition of Planetary Radio, this special JWST edition. We are nevertheless still joined, thank goodness, by the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, Bruce Betts. Were you watching? Did you see those beautiful images? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, best reaction. Wow. <laughs> no, seriously, no kidding, right? I mean, that's exactly right. That's mind-blowing. They are. It's very exciting. The fact that the science that we're looking forward to is going to be so huge and uh, that the engineering marvel 
that is this beast of a telescope with this complex set of things to do, it actually works. It's, <laughs> it's spectacular. The pictures are beautiful. Hubble pictures on the surface can look as beautiful, but when you dig into what's in them, they're seeing things that Hubble nor Spitzer nor others couldn't see due to the higher resolution, spatial resolution, and the uh, infrared wavelengths they're using. They're peering through dust clouds. They're doing spectroscopy of uh, exoplanets, uh, seeing, so to speak, water in the atmospheres. It's uh, pretty darn cool. And how. So I suppose that you're not going to tell us to go out tonight and look for any of those uh, galaxies that are 13 billion or more light years away, right? True. Maybe just stick to the closest few hundred million, (laughs) not light years, first few hundred million galaxies. Collect them all. Now we're going to focus uh, much closer to home, but also still very cool. We've got uh, four very bright planets visible with just your eyes. It does not require a multi-billion dollar space telescope to see these, although you'll just see them as dots. But they're really cool dots, and you can pull out some binoculars or telescopes and see more. We've got in the pre-dawn east, going from the horizon up, super bright Venus. And this, it'll be fairly low to the horizon, but really bright. Reddish Mars, very bright Jupiter and yellowish Saturn, and they, they're spreading out as the weeks go by across the sky, still in approximately a line. Saturn is actually coming up in the late evening now. Everyone's getting earlier except Venus, which is, it'll go away at some point, but see it now. Collect them all. And, hey, there's, um, there's a moon. Well, there are a lot of moons, but the moon, our moon, will be visible uh, hanging out near all of them, progressing by. If you want to note the dates on the 15th, the moon is near Saturn, 18th near Jupiter, 21st, very close to Mars, very, very close to Mars. And then the 26th, the moon is near Venus. Great summer sky. Thank you. On to this week in space history. It was a busy week in space history. Just some examples, 1965, Mariner 4 became the first successful flyby of Mars. 1969, something called Apollo 11 launched on a big rocket headed to the moon. And 2015, New Horizons did its flyby of the Pluto system, giving us uh, spectacular views for the first time and only time up close and personal. We move on to random space fact. (laughs) I assure you, it is. Oh, okay, good. It is. It's not that random, but it's definitely a space fact. JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope, has a huge sun shield, diamond-shaped, enormous, about the size of a tennis court. But what I want to tell you about is how effectively it does its job, which is cooling the detectors and the telescope, because they operate... Largely in the infrared, you get much better signal to noise if you can get them nice and cool. It just passively cools by reflecting away the light and radiating out to space down to less than 50 kelvins. At 50 kelvins, or the equivalent of 50 degrees Celsius, above absolute zero. And that's good enough. Just the passive cooling for three out of four instruments on James Webb. The fourth instrument is a mid-infrared instrument, and they use an active cooler using liquid helium 
to get it down to about seven kelvins. And, uh, and that's part of what enables them to get these spectacular images, particularly off in the infrared that we're seeing in these, these beautiful pictures released today and coming up in the future. Let us go on to the trivia contest. And I asked you, what are the names of the two cameras on the Chia Cube or some permutation similar to that? The Italian CubeSat companion to NASA's DART mission while DART slams into an asteroid. The Chia Cube will uh, try to take images of the impact. And its two cameras have fun acronyms. And what are they, Matt? How do we do? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let our uh, poet laureate, Dave Fairchild, tell you. But and, and Lucia Cube, I mean, I forgot to ask my Italian wife, once again, the correct pronunciation. But I think you're right. It, but we'll take Lucia or whatever people want to say. Here's what Dave Fairchild said. There will be crashing and spaceships all dashing to asteroids far, far away as Dart is approaching and also encroaching. Dimorphos, get out of my way. So who will be watching the notching and splotching, the violence done like a Vader? It's Luke and it's Leia, because they are the players observing the newly made <laughs> crater. <laughs> Very impressive. Some yeah. dicey rhymes to make it all work, but I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. I'd say they were okay on the Dr. Seuss scale. I think they were uh, up there. I think they did okay. No, and the content made it well worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Luke and Leia? Luke and Leia, Lychia Cube Unit Key Explorer and the Lychia Cube Explorer Imaging for Asteroid. Nice. I have a winner to tell you about as well. And get this. He has been entering off and on since 2015. This is his first win. Richard Tolson in Nebraska, he got it. Leia and Luke, Luke and Leia. Congratulations, Richard. We are going to send you a copy of this great new book, Solar System Reference for Teens. I have I read heard it. Of that. I've enjoyed it. It's by the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, Dr. Bruce Betts. Yay! We're ready for another one. One of my typically very serious trivia questions. Generally speaking, what goal does the James Webb Space Telescope heat shield share with the packaging of the now-retired McDonald's McDLT burger? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. All right, one, there really was a McDLT, I assume, uh, or you wouldn't have asked this. And two, did you ever enjoy one? Okay, yes, there definitely was. And uh, yes, I enjoyed many before they were... <laughs> banned from the world for tragic. It was tragic. I, I, I still wake up dreaming of the McDLT at times, but alas. I'm going to look it up. We can't get you a McDLT, apparently. You, the winner of this latest contest that you have until July 20. A very auspicious date, by the way. July 20, 2022 at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us the answer. But what you will get if you enter in the way that Bruce is going to tell you in a moment, you will get your own copy, a signed copy of Solar System Reference for Teens by Bruce Betts. <laughs> so how do people enter? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest and get us your entry. I think we're done. All right, everybody, go out there, look up in the night sky, and think about the power of paper clips. That's a lot to think about. Thank you, and good night.
I love paper clips. I love them for what they do. No moving parts. But there's so much you can do with them as a kid. You can turn them into so many things, including, you know, those little things that would flick your friends. Uh, I guess I shouldn't go into too much detail there. But uh, anyway, I'm sure Bruce Betts knows all about what you can do with paper clips. Uh, they're incredibly useful, as is he, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, who joins us every week here for What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members who see beyond the stars. Mark Hilverda and Ray Poletta are associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astro. Ad Astro.